0: There's something strange, I can't speak for you, but for me, there's something strangely soothing about the voice of Forrest Gump. I feel like I just listened to hours on end. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I thought, man, if there was a way to somehow kind of like Forrest gump my voice before we put our messages online, feel like more people would listen, I could preach for two hours and people would be like, wasn't that only like 10 minutes? I mean, the benefits would be seemingly endless. But anyway... As that video would perhaps suggest, today we're gonna be talking a little bit about storms. And the reason that we would do that is because last week we started a brand new original series called At The Lake. And we're doing that because, well, it's summertime here in Michigan. And chances are, if you're not at the lake, and by virtue of the fact that you're sitting here today, you're not at the lake, and I don't need to rub that in. I'm not there either. You're probably wishing you were at the lake. It's the time of year where us Michiganders, we love talking about going up north, right? People use that phrase all the time, up north. Uh, By the way, you leave the state of Michigan and you say you're going up north, people have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this before, but you're met with very, very blank stares and they're like, up north, like you're going to the North Pole, like you're going to visit Santa Claus. I don't understand what you're talking about. But anyway, we love, we love, love, love our lakes here in the state of Michigan. We have over 11,000 inland lakes. That's pretty incredible, right? Maybe some of you have heard the statistic before. But no matter where you find yourself in the state of Michigan, you are never more than six miles from a body of water. That's pretty crazy, right? Over 11,000 inland lakes. I always found it funny growing up that Minnesota boasted that they were the land of 10,000 lakes. It's like, congratulations. You want like a participation trophy? You are in second place. We are kicking your butt, okay? I got a little pride here in Michigan. So the premise for this series is pretty simple. For a lot of us, a lot of our fondest uh, childhood memories, a lot of them maybe your favorite memories as an adult even center around lakes, around bodies of water. And ironically enough, a lot of the most famous events surrounding Jesus's life actually centered around or on bodies of water as well. And so we thought, well, let's have some fun this summer during the month of July and explore some of these events that surround Jesus's life uh, as he was also at the lake. Um, so last week, we kicked things off in part one, we had a guest speaker, a guy by the name of Scott Crownover, who's the lead pastor of a church down in Ann Arbor called The Green Room. Uh, he's an incredible, incredible communicator. And, and if you are not here, uh, I can't encourage you enough to please go to grumlaw.com slash messages and go ahead and listen to that message. I know that a lot of us for the summer, you know, it's hard to be here every single week, but don't use that as an excuse to just check completely out. Uh, our hope is, is that on those weeks that you're not able to be here, we totally understand that, you are going online, you're either listening or watching those messages messages there. You can also find us under Grumlaw Church, wherever it is that you happen to grab your podcasts as well. So again, hopefully some of y'all are taking advantage of that. So today, as we move on to part two of this series, as promised, we're going to talk a little bit about storms, the storms that we all, every single one of us, we all encounter these things in life. Uh, and to better kind of help illustrate this this morning, I brought along some props, okay? So this is some exciting stuff. I don't normally use props here, so all right. I got stuff in here. I um, and what I want you to do, those of you that are in the front rows, well, nobody sits in the front row, apparently my wife and I have a disease, but okay, but for those of you that are at least closer, as I pull these things out of the bag, I want you to go ahead and shout out what they are, okay? So help out the people in the back that maybe can't see quite as well, okay, so here's the first thing, we ready? I need really participation here. Anybody? Feather? Feather? Okay, it's a feather, you guys, okay, trouble identifying objects, okay, we're off to a great start. Okay, there's the feather, okay, and the next, okay? Fan, right? A fan, okay, we have a fan, okay, now... I think I can get this just right. I've seen this recently. It's pretty unbelievable, okay? So we got the feather, we got the fan. Watch this. You ready? Everybody, maybe a little drum roll here, a little drum roll action. You guys need to wake it up a little bit. You guys are all like, you know, on the, the 4th of July, like, lull, like, slap yourself a little bit. Okay. we ready? Watch this. <laughs> all right, I don't think some of you guys caught this. Watch this. Okay, hold on, let's try again. Let's try again. All right, here we go. Impressive. Okay, now feather. Okay, you saw, okay. Now I know that's not too impressive, but watch this. Okay, you need to yell out what this is, okay? It's a rock. Feather, out of here. Watch this. Does not move. None of you seem very impressed by this. Those of you that are like under the age of 15, it's like what is wrong with this guy? There's something wrong with him. Okay, there's some imagery here though. Bear with me, there's some imagery here that I want you to kind of hold on to this morning. I think it'll be pretty easy for you to understand, wrap your head around, okay? Uh, These things, I'm actually gonna, this morning, tell you that these things actually represent things in our lives, okay? So we're actually gonna start first with the fan. The fan represents the storms of life, the things that distract us in life, Uh, problems, conflict that we experience, things like losing a job, tension with your spouse, divorce, conflict with your kids, bills, unexpected ER visits, uh, home repairs, having a child, getting married, addiction, uh, kids' sports. Television, social media, golfing, girls' nights out, working long hours. I mean, you get the idea, go on and on. And not everything that I just mentioned there, obviously, is bad. Those things aren't necessarily, there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things that I just said. But they are all potentially fans in our lives. They all have the ability to be storms in our lives, to distract us, uh, to push us off course, to stress us out, to cause us to deviate from what is ultimately most important in life. Now, If we're honest, sometimes these fans, sometimes these storms that we experience in life are completely on our fault. They're completely your fault. They are due to your unwise decisions. You bought the jet ski. You made the poor decision at work. You didn't stop smoking. You drank. You ate. You picked up. You kept scrolling. You called him, you called her. But other times, it's completely out of our control or maybe even a combination of the two. But regardless, they're storms. They are distracting you, they're dominating your thoughts and there's a sense that, okay, something has to change. Okay, so that's the fan, represents the storms of life. Uh, Up next here, uh, we have the feather, okay, the feather. This is empowering little thing. Uh, The feather represents you, represents me, it represents us, it represents people. Now, you don't have to admit this about yourself Uh, but I'll admit this about me, it doesn't take much to blow us around, to push us off course, to distract us. The slightest little, you know, pink fan comes along uh, and we're toast. We can be so fickle, so easily distracted, so easily pushed off course. So that's that's the feather. And then lastly, we have the rock and the rock represents God. And whoo, things just got churchy real quick, but bear with me for a second. God's solid. God is unwavering, God is powerful, God is strong, God is shielding, God is preserving. So again, to recap, we have the fan, which again represents the storms of life. We have the feather, you know, represents us, and we have the rock, which represents God. And you put these things next to each other, this feels pretty not powerful right now. And so, with all that brilliant imagery in in mind this morning, what I want to do is we're going to take a look at at an event surrounding Jesus' life that uh, is perhaps one of my favorite stories in in all of Scripture, and it's a real event that really happened. Um, So, before we go there, let me pray. I'm going to do that now. Father, I just say thank you so, so much for preserving these words for us that uh, we're about to dive into here this morning. Um, I ask you, God, uh, that you would just speak to us individually. Um, that we wouldn't walk out of here just thinking, okay, that, that was like an okay thing. It was a fun little like, you know, hour of my time. But we would truly take tangible steps towards you because we know that as we move towards you, you always move towards us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, we're gonna jump into a passage today in Mark chapter four, but before we go there, I wanna set the stage a little bit for what's going on here. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, where we're gonna be picking up here today, uh, at this point in their ministry, they're incredibly popular. Everywhere that Jesus and his disciples would go, these massive crowds would form, and they would form for two reasons. One, they wanted to hear Jesus speak. He spoke with an authority that people had never heard before. He was such a captivating teacher, such a captivating communicator. So these big crowds would develop around him. And then two of these big crowds would come along because Jesus had a knack for like healing people. People that had been blind their entire entire lives. People that had been crippled their entire lives. And so these massive crowds would form and spend all this time around Jesus, and they'd been hearing about Jesus, you know, kind of through the grapevine, and eventually when they found him, they're like, oh my gosh, this is the guy. We are gonna hang on to every single word that this guy has to say. Now, one of the issues that would actually develop because he was so incredibly popular was that sometimes he wanted to get away, and escaping these crowds was a difficult thing to do. It wasn't as easy as just going like, okay, hey, we're out of here, see you later, leave us alone. No, 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 these crowds, once they found him, they were not about to let Jesus out of their sight, so they would follow him everywhere, and we don't just see this in the passage that we're gonna read this morning, but throughout Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we call those the gospel books, they're the four books that document Jesus' life, his death and his resurrection. Throughout those four books, we see this all over the place, that this is one of actually the common problems that they would encounter just escaping these crowds. Now, we see this in modern day all the time with like celebrities, right? A guy like Justin Timberlake can't go to the grocery store, right? He goes to the grocery store as discreet as he tries to be. Eventually some fan's going to be like, that's Justin Timberlake. And then the crowd develops, right? And then the paparazzi's there. And then before you know it, he's running out the door and he jumps in some sweet looking, tricked out black SUV and they like rip away. Jesus didn't have SUVs back then. Sometimes, at best, the best thing that he had was a boat, and we're actually going to see that that's the way that he tried to escape in this particular occasion that we're looking at this morning. But to give you a better idea, uh, Jesus had been preaching on this beach all day in a very, very, very large crowd. Thousands of people had gathered to listen to Jesus teach, but eventually night comes, and Jesus is pushed right up to the water. He has nowhere to go. And again, it's not as if he can just cut through the crowd and leave and go home and like, all right, see you later, everybody. No, the crowd's gonna follow him. So he turns around and he says, oh, there's a boat here. How about we jump in this boat and we'll cross to the other side of the lake and that will be the way that we escape the crowd. So that's where we're picking up here in Mark chapter four. It says this, it says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Let's escape this crowd. So they took Jesus in the boat And they started out, leaving the crowds behind. And then I love that this detail is included for us because right here we have the first instance, recorded instance of paparazzi. Although other boats followed. Okay, so they tried, but there were still a couple of boats that followed them. Now keep in mind, the lake that's being referenced here, this isn't some tiny inland lake. This isn't like Lake Fenton. In fact, the lake that's being referenced here is actually a sea. It is the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake that's uh, 33 miles in circumference. So it's a very big body of water. It sits about 680 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by like pretty tall hills and even mountains, we might call them. You know, people in Colorado would probably be offended by that, but hills, mountains, and what the Sea of Galilee is still known for, and this is a place that you could go visit today, it still exists, and this is still a problem that exists on the Sea of Galilee, is oftentimes wind comes ripping across those mountains, ripping across the land, and when it hits the water, it intensifies, and these quick, crazy storms come seemingly out of nowhere, and in fact, this is exactly what happens with Jesus and the disciples, but soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. So again, these storms would come completely out of nowhere, and obviously back at this point in history, they didn't have the benefit of an iPhone, right? They couldn't look on their weather app. There was no radar to say, like, hey, Peter's looking at Jesus going, hey, I don't think we should go right now. It looks like there's some weather on the way. It was completely unexpected. And isn't this the case in our lives? Think about this. Storms are always unexpected. In fact, it's kind of what makes them storms. See, if we had a way of predicting them, the storms that we encounter in our lives, if we had a device that could somehow tell us, hey, this thing is going to be coming into your life right now, this crisis, this trouble, this problem, if we knew that it was coming, no matter how lazy you are, we would all take action immediately to avoid that. Sure, there were a lot of isolated events that led to the divorce, but you didn't enter into marriage thinking this is all eventually going to deteriorate. You made a series of poor financial decisions, but you didn't buy that house thinking, okay, this is ultimately going to be the financial choice that is going to ruin me. You saw your kids starting to make poor decisions, but you had no way of predicting that. You knew that he or she might not be totally right for you, but you could have never expected it would come to this. They're always unexpected. In fact, it's the absence of expectation that makes it a storm. It's the lack of preparation. It's the genuine, I did not see that coming. It's a lot of times sheer ignorance. Because the truth is, and we all know this, we all experience less than favorable situations every single day. But you wouldn't necessarily call every one of those less than favorable situations a storm. You don't think of them as these catastrophic events. You don't think of them as these massive problems. My wife and I, before moving up here and starting this church prior to that, uh, we were living in Howell, and we thought that we would be there for the rest of our lives. Now, God had a way of kind of changing that, and I would say for any of you that follow Jesus, uh, over time, once you find yourself getting really, really comfortable, it seems like those are the moments that God says, okay, now I'm going to uproot you and do something else, but that's another day. Um, But anyway, we thought we'd be in Howell for the rest of our lives. And uh, you remember like five, six years ago, those of you that were living in Michigan at the time, we had like a couple brutal winters. Like the kind of winter where you'd walk outside and you're like, this hurts. It's like it's like hurts to breathe, and we got so much snow. My wife took all these pictures. Like I was actually saw them the other day. I was scrolling through my phone on vacation. Like these massive, massive mounds of snow. And now, obviously, when spring does eventually roll around, and we thought it might never come, but it did eventually come. The snow had all melted, and we looked out on our deck, and we noticed that there was like this like bow in the deck. There was like suddenly this bubble that had appeared in the wood, and it was just in one place. And we're looking at it, going. Well, where the heck did that come from? And how come it's just in that one spot? And I kind of figured, okay, well, it must have been the weight of the snow on the deck, and it kind of like caused it to warp a little bit. Well, once I got actually beneath the deck, and it was kind of this big wraparound deck, wraparound porch, I realized that one of the support beams, like a 4x4 that's anchored in concrete, that concrete was being heaved out of the ground. Now, some of you probably know this. Others of you maybe don't. Because of the weather that we experience here in Michigan and other places that have summers and you know winters and different seasons, because of the thawing and freezing, thawing and freezing, over time, things actually get pushed out of the ground, right? It's pretty crazy. It's why we, when you drive around you see in the middle of farm fields these massive rock piles, it's not like every farmer has just like a, a rock collection. What happens is, again, over time, those rocks actually get pushed out of the earth, and that's exactly what was happening to our deck, and so the support beam was shoving up and therefore causing this bubble, and I thought, Well, that's probably not good. And so I called like a friend of a friend who happened to be a contractor and I explained what was happening. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We see that all the time, uh, particularly after really cold winters, shouldn't be a big deal. And then I asked the million dollar question that every homeowner is like dying to ask, right? How much is this going to cost me? right? That, that's what I really wanted to know. And he's like, dude, it really shouldn't be that big of a deal. We break the concrete away and then we pour new concrete, sink the post, probably don't even need to replace the post. It won't be that big of a deal at all. Uh, you know, you're probably looking at like under 500 bucks. And I'm like, okay, I can live with that. That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Well, a couple of days later, he eventually comes out and he looks and he has that look on his face like, Oh, he's about to make more money off of me. (laughs) And uh, he's looking around and he's like, hey, I don't want to like scare you into anything. Like this is ultimately your decision, but let me show you this. And he showed me like every post and he's clearing away like, you know, the shrubs and stuff that we had down there. He goes, this is happening to every one of these beams. Whoever poured this concrete did a real shoddy job. They did it really quick. He's like, this is going to happen like, constantly for the next couple winters, eventually every single one of these posts are going to be pushed up. And so he asked me this question. He says, do you think that you're going to be here long term? And at that time, again, we we had no plans to ever move there. We thought that that was going to be our forever home. And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, my advice would be it's going to be cheaper to just replace all of these at once rather than one or two at a time. That would be my advice. Think you're going to be here long term. Go ahead and just do it all now. And I was like, okay, and my wife and I talked about it. I'm like, yeah, we don't plan on moving, so yeah, let's just knock it all out now. And wouldn't you know it, that $500 bill went to a $5,000 bill. And I'm not going to lie, I wasn't super excited about that. I didn't look at my wife that night in bed and go, isn't that great? We just got to throw away $5,000 unexpectedly. What a just a pleasant feeling. But if I'm honest, it wasn't the end of the world. It really wasn't that big of a deal because by that point in our marriage, we had an emergency fund. We knew that things usually go wrong with homes. They don't somehow just get better on their own, and so we had strategically saved money for situations just like that, so when those occasions come, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't cause tension in our marriage. Now, for some of you, and I'm not trying to pick on you this morning, if you got an unexpected $5,000 home repair bill today, that would be like a woo, that'd be a big deal. That would be a storm. That would be like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? That would cause tension in your home. That would cause tension with your spouse. Now, what's the difference there? Expectation, preparation. Now, this obviously goes beyond money. Uh, Let's take a 15-year-old girl, for instance, the average 15-year-old girl, and I'm gonna make some generalizations speaking here, but, you know, so I know there's probably exceptions, but if the average 15-year-old girl gets a text, kind of a cryptic text from one of her friends that simply reads, we need to talk, what happens? meltdown right it consumes their every thought that is all they are going to think about they are going to stare at their phone and think oh my goodness what is wrong right again I know there's exceptions but for the most part that's going to be a storm that's like a big deal to get a text like that now for the adults in the room you get a text from someone that simply says we need to talk is it that big of a deal again there's probably exceptions here too you might revert to 15 year old girl but for the most part most of us probably sit there and we're like about what What is this in regards to? They text back, no big deal. You set up a time to talk, it's really not that big of a deal. But sometimes, if we're honest, there isn't any amount of preparation, expectation, life experience, or whatever else you want to call it that will adequately prepare you for that. And this, this is where I want to spend our time. This is where I want to focus this morning. Some of you, and you're sitting here today, need a little tough love, and I'm happy to maybe give you a little of that this morning, you're just disorganized. You're reactionary. You are willfully ignorant. You have bad habits. You are choosing to not learn from your mistakes, and you look around the world, and you say, woe is me. How come the world's picking on me? How come the world hates me? How come I have so many more problems than the average person? How come the weather never seems to clear up for me? How come I always have storms? If that's your thinking, chances are it's probably time for you to grow up a little bit. It's probably time for you to start adulting. Prepare, expect, manage, seek accountability, ask for help, ask for coaching. Because you keep telling yourself that it's this, that it's that, and that's just not the case. You keep telling yourself, there's no way that I could have possibly prepared for this, but that's just not true. But these situations, I know this, These situations absolutely exist. I mean, look at this very event that Jesus is experiencing with his disciples. They go out in a boat, the storm comes completely out of nowhere. I mean, the disciples, in their defense, it was actually Jesus' idea to cross to the other side of the lake. And it wasn't as if these guys didn't know their way around a boat. Keep in mind that most of the disciples, before starting to follow Jesus all over the place, they were fishermen. They lived on boats, essentially. It's what they did for a living. They had about as much experience on that boat that day as you would have possibly wanted. If you would have hand-selected a crew that would have been adequately prepared to face such a fierce storm, these would have been your guys. But there was no amount of expectation, no amount of experience, no amount of preparation that could have possibly prepared them for that. About a month ago, I got a text from a, a friend of mine. And uh, he said, "Hey, will you pray for a co- coworker of mine?" And uh, I didn't know his coworker. I don't know any of his coworkers. And I said, "Yeah." Wh- what about? And he—I'll uh, never forget getting this text back. He said they just unexpectedly lost their eight-month-old child. And I remember just sitting there and reading that, and like, I had no idea what to write back. I didn't even know what to think. What do you do in those situations? How are you supposed to deal with, like, those type of storms? Do you deal with them? Or do you just kind of, like, let life take its course and see what happens? Jesus, meanwhile, storm breaks out. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. So these guys are all fearing for their lives. They all think for certain that they are going to drown the boat is a rocking it's going all over the place. Uh, they were not prepared, even though they had been on the waters many, many times, they'd been in storms before, they were not prepared for something of this magnitude. And all of a sudden, one of them, maybe a couple of them, we don't really know exactly how it goes down, they start looking around, they're like, where's Jesus? Yeah, has anybody seen Jesus? Did the guy fall overboard? Where is this guy? And this, I cannot wait to ask Jesus about when I get to heaven. Jesus is apparently sleeping on the boat. So they go find Jesus. Again, wouldn't you know it? His head is on a cushion and he's asleep. Now, I don't mean to question the Son of God, but again, I want to ask him about this because I used to do this when I was in like fourth and fifth grade. Uh, we'd get home from trips or be a little bit later at night with my parents uh, and the minivan would be pulling into the driveway and I all of a sudden would go like this and fall asleep, and pretend like I was sleeping. I wasn't actually sleeping. I was just trying to avoid brushing my teeth. I hated brushing my teeth when I was like that age. And so I knew that about 50% of the time, if I pretended like I was sleeping, my dad would scoop me up, he'd take me into bed, take my shoes off, and I wouldn't have to brush my teeth. I'm wondering if this wasn't a little bit of a Jesus didn't want to brush his teeth type situation. But anyway, the disciples, nonetheless, they woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? Jesus... Don't you care that we're gonna drown? Jesus, how are you sleeping right now? And we actually wanna talk about that a little bit, but this probably isn't the greatest time. Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care about my spouse? Don't you care about my kids? Don't you care about my finances? Don't you care about my friendships? Don't you care about my job? Don't you care if I have a boyfriend? Don't you care about my girlfriend? Don't you care about my family? God, don't you care about my bills? Don't you care about my health? Don't you care about this addiction? Come on, God. Come on, Jesus. Don't you care? I mean, if you're really out there, why don't you show up like right now? Don't you care? And this, like right now, and I truly believe this, could be one of the seminal moments of your life. And I'm not just saying that to be dramatic. Because one of the most dramatic, critical, seminal moments of our lives comes about when we really wrestle with and we really decide, does God know? Does God care? Does he know? And if he's out there and he knows, does he actually care? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind you read that right. He's talking to the wind. And he said to the waves, Silence! Be still! <laughs> and suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. What? It's so easy to read this stuff and think of it as like fiction, or maybe if you're a Jesus follower and you've been coming to church your whole life, and we just breeze through this without giving you a second thought. But can you even imagine? I mean, you're on a boat in one moment, fearing for your life. I mean, you think there is a 100% chance that you are going to drown. You're scrambling around the boat, thinking maybe Jesus fell overboard. You finally find him. He's sleeping. You wake him up. And the first thing he does is, shh. He rebukes the wind. He rebukes the waves, and it actually works. I mean, just imagine, try as best as you can to put yourself in that situation. He talked to the weather and the weather listened. Like, Jesus, are you serious? You have had that kind of power sitting in your pocket this entire time? And then he asked him, why are you afraid Come on, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, he's looking at his disciples, he's looking at his 12 best friends going, come on, do you really not think that I know? I mean, come on, guys. We, we, We have been friends for a long time. We spend like every waking moment together. Do you really not think that I care? I mean, why? Why? Seriously think about that. And that's too, I would challenge you. Why? Think about that. Why are you so afraid? And Jesus is looking at him going, I think I know the answer. Because let's be honest. You're not sure that I know. And even worse, you're not sure that I even care. Why is it? That when storms come about in our lives, troubles, tribulations, strife, why why is it that we are so quick to abandon everything that we know about the character of God? We're so quick to forget his faithfulness. We're so quick to forget the previous occasions where he has so clearly come through. We're so quick to forget events like this. We have page after page of evidence in Scripture, eyewitness accounts of where Jesus talked to the weather. And the weather listened. Where is your faith? See, the disciples spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus but they underestimated him. They they had a tough time wrapping their heads around how Jesus' power uh, applied to their lives, applied to these tough situations that they were encountering. We, however, have the benefit of 20 plus centuries of Christianity, 20 plus centuries of people following Jesus where we have millions upon billions of events where God has so clearly come through and yet we still underestimate his ability to handle the storms in our lives. If I'm honest, I don't really think we have much of an excuse. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? They still weren't sure. We, however, have the benefit of being on the other side of a resurrected Savior. Jesus conquered death. He is the Son of God. He fought and continues to fight on our behalf. He is for us, not against us. Shift your fear off the storm onto the one that calms the storm. I say this all the time. One of the incredible promises that God gives us is that as we move closer to him, he is always faithful. He will always move closer to you. As you take steps towards God, steps of obedience towards him, he will always take steps towards you. As you take take steps towards God, he'll begin to take over parts of your life, storms, trouble, strife, conflict, whatever you want to call it, distractions, that you did not think could be overtaken. God longs, I mean, he longs to be your rock. He wants your life to be better, more fulfilling, less worry, less anger, less anxiety, less panic, less getting caught off guard by the stuff that will hit you in this life. You are never going to completely avoid conflict. You're never going to completely avoid avoid the storms that we experience in this world. But when you are firmly fixed on God, you can experience perfect peace, I promise you, even in the midst of turmoil. Believe it or not, God can take you from this, which is pretty weak, pretty feeble, and he can take you to rock. Leading up to uh, starting Grumlaw, one of the incredible benefits that I have had personally is that my best friend was virtually on the same trajectory to start a church down in Ohio, a church that we actually as a church support as well called Three Creeks. They launched uh, back in February and we launched back in January. So it was great for me and for him that throughout this entire process of starting this church, we'd call each other up and be like, what did you do here? What did you do here? And it wasn't like a hypothetical. We were literally living basically the exact same thing and experiencing a lot of the same emotions and going through and asking ourselves a lot of the same questions. Uh, And there were many times, if I'm honest, where I would call Joel, uh, and I know he would call me, but for some reason I remember the times where I would call him more often, uh, where I would work myself kind of into a panic. And a lot of times in the early stages, it came back to to finances and just like, what am I going to do here? How are we going to figure this element of this out? And and I'm calling him, and all the time when I would ask him these questions, and he he knows me well. We've known each other since college, and he'd be like, hey, what are you getting so worked up about? I'm like, well, we got to figure this out. In fact, you need to be more panicked, too, because you got to figure this out as well. So let's go. He's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, relax. God has things under control. And I'm like, I know that. And that sounds nice, and it sounds pretty freaking churchy, if I'm being honest. But like, okay, this is a reality. Like, this has to happen by tomorrow. He's like, Shay, and he'd always say this, Shay, whose idea was this to start the church? Was it yours, or was it God's? I was like, sure wasn't mine. He's like, okay, it was God's. So do you really think that God is going to abandon you now? He has this whole thing rigged. He has this whole thing figured out. As you focus your mind on God, you become steady. You become stable. You're supported by God's unchanging love, by God's mighty power. You're not shaken by the surrounding chaos. You want peace? Keep your thoughts on God. Put your trust in him. It's not an accident that the people that we all look up to, that the people, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, that seem to handle conflict and problems and storms so well in their lives, most of the time also happen to have a very solid relationship with God. Those individuals don't encounter any less trouble than you or I. No, they simply have a stronger relationship with their Savior. I promise it's that simple. And the even more amazing part is that Jesus is dying to be your rock. He went to the extent that he sacrificed himself on a cross for you. That is how desperately he wants a relationship with you. So the question I'll pose to you this morning is, will you continue getting pushed around by life? Let's call it like it is. Will you continue to be owned by your circumstances? Or will you allow God to actually take control? From my perspective, this is a pretty no-brainer decision. And I say that because any of you that have virtually any life experience, you know we've all experienced this. These moments where we feel like we have the world in the palm of our hands. Everything is going so well. And then something happens. That is completely out of our control, it is completely unexpected, you had no way of seeing it coming, and you were reminded yet again for like the umpteenth time that you're not actually in control. So why not give it to him? What do you possibly have to lose? Shift your fear off the storm onto the one that calms the storm, the Jesus, the Son of God, who spoke to the weather, and the weather listened.